Good morning again. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 1 today. Ruth chapter 1. Let's begin um, with a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your continued faithfulness and your continued kindness to us. We thank you that you uh, have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be reconciled to the Father. We pray that you might help us never to grow dull of hearing uh, this message, but rather would increase in our joy because of it and our worship. We pray that you might help us to understand the passage in front of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If there was a list of the top depressing passages in the Bible, I think that Ruth chapter 1 would probably have to make that list. Um, And certainly, if you are reading uh, the book of Ruth uh, for the first time, you really have to agree with Naomi uh, when you get to the end of Ruth chapter 1 where Naomi says uh, in verses 20 through 21, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but Yahweh has caused me to return empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Yahweh has answered against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity uh, against me. Last week, I told you that uh, Naomi misread Providence, Uh, and I stand by that. However, we're still in chapter one, so we're going to give Naomi a moment for pity's sake, okay? Uh, She has experienced a very difficult loss, and we're not going to do anybody any favors by pretending that we would handle this loss better. Uh, The apostles misread providence. They thought that the death on the cross signified defeat, when in fact it signaled victory. Job's friends misread providence. They thought certainly Job must have sinned since he was suffering. The Jews many times misread providence. They thought that salvation was only for them and not for all descendants of Adam. And if we had to be honest with ourselves, we too misread providence. God is doing a work in our midst today and every day that we just cannot fully comprehend or understand. And so we're going to be patient with Naomi here. Okay. At the same time, this reality that we see here, that it's very easy to misread providence, it drives us to know our Bibles better. It doesn't mean that we're always going to understand God's hand at work, but it does keep us humble, and it helps us to remember and recognize that the Lord knows best. And knowing our Bibles better also helps us to know when to say, uh, I think this is going on, and when to say, I, it's just, I don't know, and being humble in that way. With all, with all this being said, uh, we're going to look at today's passage in three sections, and uh, I think this thing here is not uh, 
Oh, wait, there it goes. Um, maybe I can control it here. We're going to look at it in three sections. We're going to see it in three scenes, okay? Uh, verses 1 through 5 gives us the context. Just, it's setting the stage for us. Scene 2 is in verses 6 through 18, and that really highlights the steadfastness of Ruth. And then 19 through 22 is the return to Bethlehem. Uh, really, all of chapter 1 is, in one sense, setting the stage for the rest of the book. Um, but we see it develop in this fashion. Let's go ahead and look at uh, Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened in the days when the judges judged that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the fields of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they came to the fields of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They, that is the two sons, took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and returned from the fields of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people to give them food. So she went forth from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh show loving kindness with you as you have shown with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, they lifted up their voices, and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, for the hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has returned to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to forsake you in turning back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me and more, if anything but death separates you and me. So she saw that she was determined to go with her, and she said no more to her. Then they both went until they came to Bethlehem. Now it happened when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but Yahweh has caused me to return empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Yahweh has answered against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity against me. So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, 
who returned from the fields of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's establish the scene that is um, in front of us here. There is a man named Elimelech who lives in Bethlehem. He lives in Bethlehem during the time of the judges, possibly even during Gideon's time. And Elimelech goes and he marries a wife, he marries a woman named Naomi. And there is one singular event that happens here in Ruth chapter 1 that sets everything else in motion. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of something called the butterfly effect. Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect before? Okay, The butterfly effect, uh, perhaps anecdotally, is described as the fact that a butterfly flapping its wings, uh, you know, in New York could cause a tornado to happen in the Midwest somewhere, right? And, and the idea is that these very small little things have ripple effects that increase in severity and intensity in other places. In fact, in 1963, uh, there was a professor at MIT, Edward Lorenz, wrote a paper on this topic called deterministic non-periodic flow. I don't know what that means. Uh, It's a little more fancy, a little bit of a less fun way of saying butterfly effect, but he was tracing what was going on with this butterfly effect. And in any event, you have something of a butterfly effect going on in Ruth chapter 1. And what is it? It is the famine. I mean, the famine, without the famine, we don't have the book of Ruth, okay? Uh, without the famine, and now, of course, the Lord, we could say, what if this, what if that? The Lord will work his will no matter what way. But the famine directly has a tie to Jesus Christ, okay? Because the famine has to happen for them to go to Moab, and they have to go to Moab for them to find uh, Ruth and to marry Ruth, and then they have to come back to Israel for her to meet Boaz, and then they have to get married, and then they have descendants and descendants and descendants who eventually come to Christ. And so it really all hinges on this famine that happens, this butterfly effect, uh, as it were. Uh, everything in the book of Ruth and everything about our salvation hinges on the words in verse 1, there was a famine, Okay? It all hinges on that. It was, we might say, God's famine. It was God's minister, God's servant. And since we know, as we saw last time, that nothing happens by sheer coincidence, we know that God intended this famine to come on this land for his divine purposes. Now, the result of this famine, this one event that sets in motion all of these other events, the result of this is what we see in the second half of verse 1, namely that this man named Elimelech, along with his wife and his two sons, leave Judah and they go to uh, Moab. After they are in Moab, they go there to, to find food. After they are in, there, in Moab, the husband, Elimelech, dies. And so at this point in the narrative, it is Naomi and her two 
sons. These two sons now go and find and marry Moabite women. One is Orpah, and the other is Ruth. At this point, ten years transpires, and everything seems to go somewhat normal. The end of this roughly ten-year period, the two sons die. And now all that remain are three women. Naomi, and then her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Three widowed women. We have to acknowledge that this is a very difficult path that the Lord has allotted to these women. Providence can be, at times, very hard. We understand this. Some of us more than others. Some of us by experiences more severe than others. And one of the things that we have to understand is that for his own purposes, the Lord permits, allows, and we could even use, I think, the word providentially ordains difficult times to come on even his own people. This makes me somewhat angry with prosperity gospel preachers who deceive their people into thinking that if you just give enough money, if you just have enough faith, you can have health, wealth, and prosperity and no difficulty in this life. Um, This is counter to everything that we see from beginning to the end of Scripture. And we see that theme here. Anyone who is honest with Scripture will recognize that there is something in this life that we call difficulty. Hardships exist. And in any event, we see that coming to this family. We begin the book of Ruth with this rather seemingly dark turn of providence toward Ruth and her family, and yet the Lord remains in control, and he uses everything according to his divine purposes. And so from this perspective, we would recognize and we would affirm that not all is lost. Uh, Yes, it's been a hard turn of providence, but the Lord is in control of everything. He is um, in charge. He is, as we might say, sovereign. And so we read, beginning in verse 6, that Ruth... Um, or that Naomi hears about food in Judah. And in verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law and returned from the fields of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people to give them food. So she went forth from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. No coincidences, remember? The famine brings them there. The end of the famine now brings them back. The three of them, actually, if you look at the text here, the three of them begin the journey back to uh, Judah. Um, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And uh, at some point in the journey, uh, they stop, and Naomi encourages these uh, daughters-in-law to return to their own people. If you look at verse 7, you'll see that it says, they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So they all start together. They hear that there's food back in Judah, 
and they all get on the road together. Now, at some point in their journey, probably pretty early on, Naomi turns to them and encourages them, go return to your own country. Don't follow me, just go back to Moab. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh show loving kindness with you as you have shown with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant that you find rest each in the house of her husband. Uh, She kissed them, they lifted up their voices and wept. Of course, then they protest. They said to her, no, but we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return my daughters, go. I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, for the hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. They lifted up their voices and wept. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Okay, so they have this dialogue. They are on the, the road. Naomi at some point says, just go back. And they protest. And finally, Naomi persists, and Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, and she leaves. But Ruth clung to her. Now, one uh, contextual note here is that you have to understand that this was a very difficult time uh, for women in particular, uh, especially women who were alone, okay? Um, and we'll see that theme a little bit later when Boaz uh, protects Ruth because of the risk that she could uh, take upon herself by just gleaning in any random field. Um, but you have these three women traveling on this road. There's risk there, okay? Uh, but there's also risk for just day-to-day living, Okay? So for these widowed women, their best chance at not having day-to-day difficulty was to find uh, a man and marry him. And Ruth, or or Naomi, recognizes this, and she encourages them to go find husbands back uh, in in Moab. And so she recognizes that that her two daughters-in-law are going to be much safer if they return to their families, take shelter in their parents' home until they can eventually remarry. And so we will say here and acknowledge that Ruth or Naomi is, I think in part at least, operating out of a deep love and care and concern for these young women. She wants them to be safe. She doesn't want them to be attacked on the road. She doesn't want them to go to Judah and then have difficulties there. Just go back to your parents' home, go to your families, and then find husbands there, and you'll be safe, you'll be provided for, uh, you'll have food. And, and of course, as the story unfolds, we do recognize that at least at the beginning, before Boaz, it is difficult for them in Judah. They have to go glean the fields. They have to figure out how they're going to have their daily food. And so Naomi is operating out of care and concern for them. In verse 8, she invokes the name of the Lord, requesting that God would be kind to them, Verse 9, she says that she hopes they will find husbands and find rest in their own homes. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, of course, protest. Naomi responds in verse 11 with this reference to having sons. Now, this is a little bit odd for us to understand today, um, but you have to understand that in Israel's day, 
if a man died with no children, it was the responsibility of his brother to marry the widow and the first son that was born to them would carry on his brother's name. And there were some legal reasons for this. You, you pass the inheritance. The inheritance that he lost was going to go to this son. Uh, and so it was a way to provide and care for the family uh, in that particular day. And so Naomi references this. And she tells these women, look, there is no hope for you. Even if she, Naomi says, even if I have a husband today, okay, and I conceive, conceive a child nine months from today, are you going to wait for them to grow up into adulthood and then marry them? Is No, there is there's no hope at this point. You are better off just leaving me all together and just starting over. And after this explanation, she says in verse 13, it is more bitter for me than for you, for the hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. Now, we have acknowledged this before, and we're going to acknowledge it again. Naomi misinterprets providence. And at the same time, she is suffering. And so we're going to show a little sympathy for her. She did lose everything. Uh, At this point in the story, we read this in verse 15. Orpah leaves, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And then she said in verse 15, Behold, your sister-in-law has returned to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, verse 15 is, I think, uh, in my estimation, probably the lowest point for Naomi in the entire book. I mean, we are going to show her some sympathy, but we can only excuse her so much. And at this point, she says, look, Orpah has returned after her gods. You go and do the same thing. Return after your own gods. She is encouraging Ruth to return to paganism. We're going to excuse some things, but we're not going to excuse this one, okay? This is, this is a very bad piece of advice that Naomi gives. Um, I, can encourage, I can understand her um, encouraging Ruth to try to find safety. Uh, We cannot understand her trying to encourage Ruth to return to her false gods. Now, for a little bit of historical context here, uh, the Moabites worshipped a false god called Chemosh. There's actually not a lot known about Chemosh, C-H-E-M-O-S-H. We're fairly certain that this is uh, a depiction of this God, he was um, uh, told to be a warrior God. And Chemosh is referenced several times in Scripture. It is believed that he most likely accepted child sacrifice. And we get this because of a story in 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, 27, where the king of Moab is in battle and the battle is going against him. And finally, as a last act of desperation, in an attempt to make the, 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 the battle go in his favor, he actually sacrifices his oldest son, kills his oldest son to his false god, 
in order to appease this false god and to try to get the battle to go in his favor. Uh, Chemosh is a god uh, who ensnared even Solomon. And you know the story of Solomon. He married uh, 700 women and had 300 concubines. So he had 1,000 women. And the Bible says that these women turned his heart away from God. And so in 1 Kings 11, verse 7, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab. Fortunately, Josiah destroyed this. We see later in 2 Kings 23, 13, the high places which were before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the Mount of Destruction, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth, the detestable idol of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the sons of Ammon, the king defiled. Okay, So Josiah destroyed and defiled these um, these, these false gods. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why does Naomi encourage Ruth to return to not just her family, but to Chemosh, return to your own gods? Had Naomi bought into the lie that there was a plurality of gods and that Yahweh was just one god in competition with all of these other gods that were roughly equal to one another? Had she given up hope, perhaps, in the true God because of how hard her life was? And she just assumed, well, Yahweh hasn't done anything good for me, so just go back to your own gods. We don't know what her reasoning was. In any event, her behavior here is obviously inexcusable. Now, fortunately for Ruth and for us, because of this thread... Ruth persists and prevails. Look at verse 16. Ruth said, Do not press me to forsake you in turning back from following you. For where you will go, I will go. Where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me and more if anything but death separates you and me. So she saw that she was determined to go with her, and she said no more to her. Okay, come. Now, there's a couple of things I want to draw to our attention here in this part of the passage. First, Ruth is committed. I mean, she is um, commended again and again and again for her hesed, her loving kindness. Remember, this word loving kindness has the idea of commitment. Okay, um, and, and we, we really need to highlight this and commend Ruth for it. She isn't fickle. She isn't lazy. She isn't unreliable. She is the kind of woman who says what she means and means what she says. Okay, this is the kind of, boys, go find yourself a woman like this and marry her, okay? And this is the kind of woman that you want to marry, someone who's firm and steadfast and reliable and consistent. And Ruth has all of these kinds of things going for her here. And so we want to commend her for this. On the other hand, there's something that isn't quite right going on here. And that is we would have really loved to see Ruth voice her commitment to the Lord first before her commitment to Naomi. Did you kind of pick that up in the text a little bit here? 
okay? She says, your God will be my God, okay? She doesn't say, I'm going to follow the Lord God. She says, I'm going to follow you, and, and if Yahweh's your God, then he's going to be my God. That's, that's how she expresses it here. She doesn't say that she wants to go to Israel to worship the true God. She says she wants to stick with Naomi. Fortunately, God knows how to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Okay? And he has brought many a person to himself in odd ways and in ways that we have least expected it. Okay? After all, Many a young man has come to Christ chasing a girl into the church, right? I mean, people come to the church for all kinds of reasons, and the Lord takes that, and he uses it for his own glory. And while someone's motivation for coming into the church may be skewed, or while their motivation for seeking the Lord may be skewed, don't discount that because the Lord works through all of these things to bring people to himself. And that's what he does here in Ruth. Whatever the motivation is for Ruth, and whatever's going on in all of the details here, what does the Lord do? He brings a young Moabite woman to himself. And we praise the Lord for that. This goes back to a point that we made last week, namely that Ruth is different from Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, these men were marrying foreign wives who were taking them away from the Lord, much like Solomon was taken away from the Lord. Ruth comes to the Lord on his terms. And all of this is the context that brings us down to their final, uh, the final scene in, uh, in Ruth chapter 1, and that is their return to Bethlehem. They arrive at Bethlehem. By the way, this would have been uh, a seven to ten day journey. Um, it's about 60 to 75 miles. Uh, that's about the distance from here, Orville, to Mentor to the north, or from here to Cambridge to the south, okay? Um, and in that day, uh, on that road, it would have taken them probably seven to ten days. I don't know if you can see uh, you know, Moab kind of over here, um, and then Bethlehem in, uh, in Judah over here, and that would have been the most likely road that they would have taken um, to go back and forth there. Uh, and so look at verse 19 here. They both went until they came to Bethlehem. Now it happened when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? Obviously, Naomi's been gone for a long time, at least 10 years, okay? Um, it's been a very long time. They all ask themselves, the whispers start to go, the rumor mill starts up, um, the grapevine, all this kind of stuff, and they begin to say, wait a second, is that, is that Naomi? We don't know, again, exactly how long she had been away. Um, but this question at least implies that the years had not been kind to Naomi. Um, she's a very different person returning than uh, when she went there. And Naomi immediately corrects them. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went out full, but Yahweh has caused me to return empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Yahweh has answered me, and the Almighty has brought calamity against me. So the word mara uh, is a word in Hebrew that means bitter. And the reason that Naomi wants her name to be changed to Mara is because of what we just read in verse 21. She misinterprets providence so that she believes that God has brought calamity against her. Now, I do want to bring your attention to a subtle jab in the text here, okay? Um, We see this in verse 22, which is the concluding verse of this section. Naomi says, please call me Mara. Nobody listens to her, not even the narrator, okay? He doesn't say, and Mara returned. He says, Naomi returned, okay? So she says, I want everyone to call me Mara now because of the bitter circumstances, and that is just completely ignored, verse 22. Naomi returned, not Mara returned, Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the fields of Moab. So they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The name Mara never shows, this is the only time that that word shows up in this book. Okay? The, the name Mara does not show up for the remainder of the book of Ruth. The narrator and everyone calls her Naomi. I think this may indicate to us, perhaps subtly, that God will prevail and his way will win out in the end. Naomi's mistake and misinterpretation of providence will not stick. Uh, What the Lord says will stick. And so, uh, where do we... uh, We've told the story here, Ruth chapter 1. This is narrative, okay? Um, Where do we go from here? How do we land the plane? How do we figure out exactly what we're supposed to take away from this? One of the difficulties here is that we are in the middle of a narrative, which means that many of the applications that we will see in Ruth do not really become crystal clear until we get to the end of this story. And yet there are some things I think that we can uh, draw out from the passage here. And so I want to to draw our attention to uh, four points uh, of application. Um, And this will be a little bit of kind of uh, assuming uh, some of the the conclusions of the book, but um, the first one is this. God accepts people on his own terms unrepentant pagans, and we've been comparing and contrasting Ruth with Nehemiah, remember, okay? Unrepentant pagans, like the foreign wives of Nehemiah and Ezra, stand condemned, okay? Repentant pagans, those who convert to Christianity or to the Lord, like Ruth, are welcomed into God's family. The gospel is for everyone who will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Those who reject this message will be condemned. Okay? Repent and believe. Okay? Um, again, this is a theme that we drew out a little bit more last week, but we have to understand this fact that um, 
we hear a lot of talk about the fact that Jesus ate with sinners, and he did. And we should do the same, by the way. Um, But his sitting with them was not affirming their sinfulness. His sitting with them was to draw them to repentance, okay? And we need to frame our relationships in the same manner. Uh, We are to, we can't help but live in the world, okay? We are in the world every day, okay? But we are not to affirm the sins of those around us. We are to have relationships and pursue relationships with them and invite them over to our homes and all these kinds of things. We are to do those things with an eye to bring them to Christ on his terms, not on their terms. That's the first point of application. Uh, Ruth demonstrates this for us when she comes back to Israel um, and, uh, and I would say is converted um, because of that experience. The second point of application is recognize God's sovereignty in every area of life. Just like the famine and the end of the famine was used by God for his divine purposes, so too God uses the daily events of our lives for his purposes, okay? Um, Ruth and Naomi and Orpah experienced a hard turn of events. Was God ever out of control in any of those moments? No. Was God ever evil or wicked in any way in any of those events? No, he is omnibenevolent. He is all good. He is kind. And so we are to understand the events of our lives in the same way. God's sovereignty should drive you to worship. If you are suffering like these women were, understand that the Lord knows, cares, and will ultimately use it for his glory and your good. I, I, I can't trace God's hand of providence. I can't tell someone who's suffering, cheer up because tomorrow it's going to be sunny. I don't know that. Um, I can say the Lord knows, and he is a better counselor than I, and you should rest in his providence. That's the second point of application. The third point of application is, um, instead of encouraging others to find refuge in paganism, as Ruth or uh, Naomi did, (laughs) evangelize people for the sake of the name, for the sake of the Lord's name. Naomi encouraged Orpah to return to her false gods. We should not make that same mistake, okay? Now, they're, they're, I'm drawing this to some, some current stuff going on, and that is sometimes we're motivated out of desire to be so, quote-unquote, winsome and so agreeable to people that we're willing to just leave people where they are and not evangelize them for the sake of the gospel. So whether we're motivated out of a desire to be winsome or a desire not to offend, never neglect to tell people the truth and preach the gospel to them. Okay? And then the final point of application is be careful not to misinterpret providence. If the Bible gives us a clear answer to a situation, then cling to that. If a situation is part of God's hidden will, be careful not to claim you know what God is doing. Give room for the secret counsel of the Lord. I can't trace, again, God's hand of providence. He's doing things that we don't know. Just be careful not to accuse the Lord of any wrongdoing in any way. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the book of Ruth and the great kindness that you have shown to us by giving us this small little book in the Old Testament. We pray that it might minister to our souls and that it might shape us and fashion us in such a way as we cling to your providence and your sovereignty. 
We pray that we might rejoice in um, your word and rejoice in the gospel message. I thank you that you have used this book to um, even draw people to yourself. I pray you might continue to do that. Help us to see that your hand is behind everything that happens and that you are working things out for good. We worship you today and thank you for this time to be here. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.